Hello, welcome to the Trustworthy AI podcast from Truera. In this series, we speak to leading AI practitioners to demystify the concept of trustworthy AI, focusing initially on financial services. My guest today is Oliver Masfool. Oliver is Chapter Lead Data Scientist in the Central Big Data and Advanced Analytics Unit of Commerce Bank, focusing on developing trustworthy AI applications for making banking a data-driven business, mostly in the risk management and financial crime prevention spaces. In this episode, Oliver provides us a uniquely European perspective on a range of topics, from the new draft AI regulation proposed in April to the state of AI adoption in Europe, the ways in which organizations are going about building practical mechanisms to make AI trustworthy, Oliver also has advice for data scientists weighing up the financial services industry against other options and predictions for the impact of AI in the next three to five years. Oliver, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Samik. I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Everyone in this space is talking about the new AI Act. You're at the heart of Europe and have already seen how GDPR has panned out in the past. I'd love to get your take on the new AI Act in the EU. Can it do for trustworthy AI what GDPR did for privacy? And will it lead to Europe leading or falling behind in AI innovation? In my opinion, there's a good chance that uh, the new AI can do the same thing to AI, what uh, GDPR has done to data privacy, but under certain conditions. When we had the discussions around GDPR, we already understood that it was a technical topic and it was very hard from a technical perspective because under things we are used to as humans, human interactions, human intentions, that's even say human emotions or whatever. When it comes to data, we are entering in a realm which we do not intuitively understand as humans. So it is very hard really to regulate everything that can be done with data, which because data is not like a material. It can be duplicated without any loss. It can evaporate. It can lose its value just because it's no longer relevant. It can be transformed, disguised, can be combined. That's a completely new kind of substance, if you like. And that's why it's very difficult to regulate even to rules to deal with data to put them into laws. I'm not talking about data as it is, but when I'm talking about modeling this data, because then it's even more difficult to say what is really in this data, what is in a model. Yeah, It's representing data, but how much of the data is really captured in the model? Is it correctly captured? And so on and so on. So they took a good approach in the EU to I write down this first guidelines for ethical use of AI and uh, to develop a plan for regulating it, but it's a much more difficult task. I think we will need much more in more discussion and clarification of the basic notions and of the, the ground question what AI really is. So stepping back from the regulation bit and looking at your industry, I'd love to get your sense on the state of adoption of AI in Europe, particularly in banking and financial services. So are firms really using AI at scale or is it still mainly experimentation or small scale pilots? What I can say for sure is that during the last two years, the AI adoption has increased tremendously. I would still say that we are at the beginning even in my own institution, I think we have a big department with several hundreds of people working in this uh, area, not all data scientists, obviously, but everything you need for doing innovation projects. But I would still say we are just at the beginning because AI 
is going to be a transformer of the whole industry. It's going to enter every process in a financial institution. So um, it's natural that you cannot do this in just one year or two years. Yeah, that it's it's here to stay and it will transform the whole business and it will still take a couple of years before we can really say we are now entered into a phase where more or less a significant portion of the banking business is more or less penetrated by AI. But I would say we have done a serious start. It's popping up in all places, um, in all kinds of processes, and it's going at a fast pace. Excellent. Your own focus has been on risk management and on financial crime prevention related models. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about use cases in that space, whether inside your institution or outside. What you typically start doing is looking for things or processes that are performed by humans, but the impression that it's not really efficient, that humans are, for instance, and that's a typical example, looking at suspicious transactions, for instance, which might be fraudulent or maybe related mm-hmm. to money laundering. And, and typically, all these processes have, uh, are not very efficient. You have a lot of false positives. Uh, people are, have the impression of doing the same thing all the time or seeing the same false positive case all the time. And that's a typical example where AI can help to reduce this false positive case into just to reduce the number of serious cases people have to look at. And that's also what we have done in the fraud area. In the risk area, we've been using AI, if you like, or um, I call it machine learning in that connection, mm-hmm. since the introduction of Basel II in 2006, where a rating model or scoring models were introduced. They figure very prominently in the new AI regulations because they are now have been uh, labeled high risk. And of course, those systems also improved. And we also tried to improve their efficiency by retraining models, for instance, on cases which we had to reject using the classical models and try to find those cases which have been erroneously rejected. Yeah, because as you know, typically rejection or credits are rejected when the probability um, that the credit is not paid back is uh, above, let's say, 5% or 10%, uh, which still means that 90% of those rejected cases would have repaid their credit, uh, which obviously leaves big room for improvements. Now, you mentioned that you think that it is happening at pace and it will continue, but that it's still in early days. So what are some of the things that you feel are barriers to greater adoption or what are some of the things that will need to change in order for adoption to move from this early stage to more mature adoption? For the financial industry, I would clearly say that the biggest challenges are not the unavailability of data or data protection issues. I think we can do a lot with the data we have. We can do a lot with the data where the customers have given us the permission to work with the data. So we can be fully GDPR compliant and still, I think, develop very useful use cases. There's a big range of of use cases for improving internal efficiency. Also, they even don't need any GDPR because they are not connected to any external processes or external customers. I think the, the the biggest obstacle is still that you need a lot of people to do this transformation. And I'm not only talking about especially trained data analysts or data scientists. You just need people also to bring all these ideas into production, to bring them, to really implement them into the processes of the bank. You're changing the whole data landscape. It starts with just collecting and cataloging 
the data you have, then understanding what the value is, bringing everything on a platform where you can really work with big data also, yeah, introducing a new platform and then starting to understand where you, how your processes look like, where are those which are strongly human driven, where are people doing the same thing at three different places, you end up with, with buying new data from publicly available data or data which have been collected by external companies, you might start collaborating with, uh, with fintechs or you might opt for, as we did, for doing everything yourself, essentially building a, a new team for doing this. So it's not easy. You're essentially changing the whole organization. You can't even speak of one or two main obstacles. The problem is that you're transforming the whole way you're doing your, your business. That's the obstacle. That's very interesting. So you're saying compared to, let's say, a, a brand new organization that has never known any other way of doing business except using data and models. With existing organizations, there are existing processes, existing ways of doing business, existing systems, existing ways of managing data, and all of that has to be transformed. Absolutely, yeah. If you could just start over <laughs> and, and start for, from scratch yeah, and rebuild everything, I don't think it would take longer than transforming the existing organization. Interesting. I'll come back to that point about starting over because I think it's a really interesting prospect. But maybe on the transformation point, if I may ask, Oliver, you referred to two kinds of challenges. There's a set of challenges around, well, we have the data, or maybe most of the data, we might have to get some from third parties. But actually, the real challenge is cataloging it, organizing it properly, making it transformed so that it can be used. There's a bit of a technical challenge around getting the data in the right shape to be used for AI. And then there is a different challenge, which is, well, people are used to making decisions a certain way. If I'm a head of financial crime, I've been using human-based investigations and uh, you know rule-based anti-money laundering systems for 10 years. My regulators have been comfortable with that. You are now asking me to change. Is the challenge more the technical challenge or is it more the hearts and minds or cultural challenge or, or is it both? Well, of course, there's also this cultural challenge. But from my experience, that's precisely the work you are supposed to do as a data scientist to explain what you're doing, explain how that I can help. And from my experience, it's never, in the end, it's never the people who are the obstacles. Typically, you can explain people that you can make their work more efficient, easier, more fun. If you use the data you have, you can explain that. Of course, there are always people who don't understand it, who are afraid of losing their jobs and you know, all these discussions, but in the end, never the people. And I've encountered lots of people who would love to have me look into their daily problems and get away with all this stupid work where they're the, the impression of redoing it. And if I can tell you from my personal experience, I started my career in a bank doing precisely that. During one year or two, I only was comparing figures from one screen with figures on the other screen, yeah, and just checking if they were the same, right? And, and I spent the first three months of this um, by trying to optimize it, and I also was able to do it. And in the end, I just said work for one hour a day, and the rest of the time I could think about other optimization tasks. Yeah, that was the start of my career in a bank. Yeah, so I know pretty well what what they are feeling, and that there are lots of people who would like us to help. But the only problem is that there are so many places where you could start, and it's never, let's say, the big uh, 50 million use case you find or whatever uh, figure you might might put there. Right? It's it's typically really just saving a little bit of work because you replace 
the equivalent of one hour manual work by a machine. It's spread all through the organization. That makes it difficult. You cannot just do one big thing and then you can double the bonus for everybody. Yeah? So it's little things that spread all through the whole organization. That is one more reason for your previous point, which is if you were designing it from scratch, you could do it so that the benefits would be clear to everybody from day one. Whereas when you're transforming an existing shop with lots of processes, lots of small pieces of benefit in many parts of the organization, it's more difficult to tell the story. I mean, it sounds like that means being able to tell the story and to convince people is an important part then of, of a data scientist's job. Absolutely. Interesting. Now, Moving back to the large organizations for a moment, I mean, you, you've you been part of industry initiatives such as with the Institute of International Finance, which is where you and I first met, on this particular topic around how to use machine learning in a responsible manner. How do you think banks can get prepared to start adopting AI at scale in a responsible manner? I think you always need people who you are well informed, you know what it's all about, and you can start building a nucleus for a bigger team that has to grow into the organization. That's how I see it. You should really start with people who, who know what they're doing, yeah? who have, have experience. Maybe you can get this knowledge from external providers or from external consultants, but um, you have to be careful yeah? because you can easily end up just buying solutions which are not really fit, where you just do the hard adapting work and you buy a framework which is quite general but not really adapted to your own problems. So I think it's really important to let it grow from inside. You know, you have people on site who understand the topic. You grow into, into the organization and you pay attention to the fact that it's not just about solving one particular technical problem. No? It is about developing an innovation process. Yeah? You have to think about how we, do we want to proceed? What is my strategy? What do I need? You know? For we internally, for instance, in formulate a strategy with uh, several building blocks. So we have seen that it is really a multi-dimensional problem. You know? that there are the people, there are the skills, there are technical prerequisites you need. Yeah, you need platforms, uh, you need uh, data, but you also need a way to scale your solutions. There are so many places where you can apply AI and every, every case for itself is only very little and does not really create a big PNL impact. Yeah, you need to be able to scale your solutions. Um, you have to think about that also, and that makes it uh, really difficult. But I think it's, uh, the important thing is to have a strong, small team at the beginning, then to grow and to grow consciously, not just thinking, yeah, we, it's just a new technology I can apply somewhere. That will not work. We have to think about it in a strategic way. That's very interesting. So you're saying that actually having an organic approach with a small core team at the center and then slowly expanding that is the right way to go. And and I do agree with you on the point about external help is useful, but ultimately, if it is not owned inside the organization, it's very difficult to scale up. Maybe one other point, um, I mentioned it briefly. You should not think that a small team of data scientists can bring AI into an organization, particularly into a bank. Because uh, once you have a data model that can help optimize things which could not be optimized before, yeah, let's say just a system that checks the correctness of customer data or the correctness of market data, whatever, yeah, but that has been done <laughs> by people before, you cannot just drop it somewhere and then it works. You need people to implement it, you need people to maintain it, and so on. And typically, that's at least 10 people for maintenance and an implementation 
when you have have one data scientist who designed the model. And that's what many organizations <laughs> fail on, yeah, because they don't realize that they need so many people to re bring the, the whole thing into the organization, not only data scientists. And that is something an external provider will never do for you. <laughs> Obviously, it cannot, yeah? Even the best of intentions, it's impossible. It has to be supported. It has to be made happen by the organization itself. That's a useful rule of thumb to keep in mind. Ten non-data scientists for every data scientist involved. Data scientists should always be the first to touch a problem. That's my, my deep mm -hmm. conviction. They should touch a problem. They should make a, a proof of concept, a prototype. But then bringing the whole thing into production normally takes a whole, as we in the HR world, you call it a cell, yeah, so more or less independent team that can implement things. For one model, one data scientist, or two, if you like, I like two pizza teams, or two data scientists who build a prototype, you need 10 people to bring it into the organization. Excellent. Staying on data scientists for a moment, you lead one of the chapters for data scientists in Commerce Bank. What would be your message to a young data scientist who's looking to choose between, say, joining a bank and other industries? Well, I think, first of all, that the, the regulation is not an obstacle doing data science. On the contrary, due to regulations, there are lots of interesting use cases. Uh, think alone about these anti-financial crime use cases, yeah, or air challenges, or um, credit scoring, that's also a classical use case that is, has transformed much more into early developing, early warning systems, uh, market stability indicators, that portfolio risk indicators, systematic risk indicators. That's, that's very interesting. I would say the most important distinction, let's say, between the automotive industry and the financial industry is that in the automotive industry, you would typically work on images, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe on technical and sensor data yeah, in mm -hmm. the realm of predictive maintenance and so on. From my perspective, that's very interesting. You can apply a particular technique, so deep neural networks in, in all its variants. Um, if you want to do that, then I would say go to the automotive industry. But for everything else, from structured data, text data, semi-text data, uh, graphs, dependency graphs, relationship modeling, there's much more to do in a financial institution. Yeah, I really have to say that. If we have the whole, <laughs> if you like, the whole bandwidth of, of problems, and we also apply the whole bandwidth of modeling techniques. Yeah, we are not using deep learning. We are using deep learning, for instance, for classification of transactions, transaction texts, and so on, or uh, for internal documents, for chatbots. Uh, we're using um, also deep learning networks. But uh, for all this structured data we have, we use a lot of uh, graphical models, statistical uh, models. That makes it quite interesting if you like this. If you like to specialize on just one kind of uh, neural network, then you, yeah, it's maybe not the best place because yeah, our data is always noisy. It's always human generated. There are situations where linear regression is all you really can do. That's an exception. That's a very interesting perspective. You're saying uh, because we are a complex and regulated industry, that creates more problems, but also that means it creates more needs for solutions. And so for exactly. anybody who's interested in a broad range of data types, broad range of modeling techniques, uh, financial services is quite good. So as you look into the next three to five years, what applications of AI are you most excited about? And maybe you can speak both in terms of your own industry, but also more broadly. 
We have seen, of course, a lot of improvement in tax processing. That's also very interesting for banks, also due to the fact that they are regulated and so on, producing a lot of documents which are semi-structured, which are um, currently written by humans, but in fact, they are more like um, technically documentation made readable for humans. This is a task that can be automated by using AI. Yeah? So all the progress we have in using transformer models, so creating human language, but let's say just as a replacement for technical specification, is uh, very interesting. I think this will be, you see this being adopted in many places in banks. And it's a very good thing because it's precisely not replacing human creativity or human writers. I don't believe in the idea of having AI creating art, or, <laughs> but that's another discussion. But for creating technical texts, which have an automated test for understandability, which can be automatically adapted to different audiences, um, I think that's a very good application of AI. And I think we will see more of this in the future. I think we will see improvements in, uh, in risk management and outlier detection. And I, I hope to see that applied everywhere. So every system should be equipped with outlier detection features so that you can avoid lots of um, silly mistake yeah, because someone somewhere just forgot to enter a number at some place or change, I don't know, the version of a program. If you could cover all these things with automatic outlier detection or automatic soundness checks, you could avoid a lot of, of silly mistakes. I think that's another Around where you see, will see application of AI. Of course, cybersecurity goes in the same direction, but that's also a very important thing to improve our protection systems because uh, people out there, especially attackers, are using the same techniques and they're getting smarter and smarter. You know, they can write emails which precisely sound like one from CEO, and uh, lots of people fall for it because they're not used to having a machine that can write letters in almost personal style. So here is the detection systems must improve. Thank you so much, Oliver. It's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast today. I think you've gone across a whole range of things from, from GDPR and how uh, European regulation is shaping up to some very interesting perspectives on how working in a regulated industry is also actually a real opportunity for data scientists looking for a breadth of use cases. And I think the thing that'll, that I'll take away the most from this conversation is the difference between a mature, large financial institution where you have to change bit by bit, cell by cell, if you will, how the organization works and something you build brand new where you, you have the freedom of building from scratch. And I think the challenges of making AI adoption happen in the former is of a different category altogether. So uh, thank you once again. A real pleasure having you on the podcast today. Thank you, Charlie, very much for having me here. And it has been a pleasure for me too. Thank you for listening. I hope you found this interesting. For more information, please swipe on the cover art, follow Truera on LinkedIn and Twitter, or visit our website for future podcasts in this series as we continue to look at different aspects of building trust in AI. Thank you.